0: So this brings us to the first principle that we gather from our passage today. We've got three main principles. The first one is that God has the sovereign right to reject the worship of those who do not have faith in God's promised offspring. God has the sovereign right to reject the worship of those who do not have faith in God's promised offspring. And who is that promised offspring? It is Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not pleased by worship that is simply going through the motions. God is not pleased by worship that attempts to appease him without trying to please him. God will not receive worship on our own terms. He receives worship on his terms. And that is through faith in the promised offspring through faith in Christ Jesus alone, period, end of story. So how does Cain react? God rejects his worship. We don't know exactly how he knew that God rejected his worship, but he does. Maybe fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, but not Cain's. We don't know. But Cain knows that God doesn't accept his offering. And this is where the plot thickens as we look at how he responds. Cain realizes that God is sovereign. Cain realizes that God cannot be bribed. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be fooled by our outward actions. God cannot be worshipped in any way that Cain pleases. And the text tells us that his response to this realization, it's it's a moment of epiphany for him apparently, is to become very angry. Not just angry, he's very angry. And his face fell, which probably means he just had a nasty scowl on his face. He was mean mugging. Here's the truth though, it wouldn't have mattered if Cain had brought the best grain he had. It would not have mattered if Cain had brought a lamb or a sheep to be sacrificed or any type of animal. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 tells us that the blood of animals never really did take away the guilt of sin anyway. Abel came to present his offering with faith, with an obedient heart, seeking to please God, believing in God's promise to redeem and restore all of creation while Cain came to God without obedience and without faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not just unlikely. It's impossible. It cannot be done. As Samuel would say, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is the greater good in God's eyes. And Cain had no desire to obey God. See, this is the difference between lip service and life service. This is the difference between a heart felt worship, a heartfelt faith, and an external hypocrisy. This is the difference between acceptable worship and unacceptable worship. And this brings us to a very important second principle. Principle number two, it is possible to demonstrate a form of godliness that denies the saving power of true godliness. It is possible to demonstrate a form of godliness that denies the saving power of true godliness because it's only an outward performance. It's only an outward performance and thus it doesn't have the saving power of godliness that comes from faith filling the heart. When we come to God, it has to be on His terms. Through faith, in Christ, with a heart filled Filled with faith that desires to submit in obedience. And if you say, well, my heart isn't filled with faith. I don't know if I have enough faith. Then pray for more. Pray for more. Ask God to give you more to help your unbelief, to help your lack of faith. There are certain other religions in the world, and you all probably know this, in which the willful and deliberate, the intentional suffering or discomfort of the individual is seen as being the greatest act of devotion. It's just totally self sacrificial, totally self denying. You can find pictures on the internet of. Uh, Buddhist and Hindu monks, you know, holding one hand above their head for six months, and they're, they're doing it for the sake of God. Oh, look how impressive that guy is. He held his arm straight up for six months. That's impressive. Why don't Christians do that? It's because even the most extravagant, even the most costly, even the most painful, even the most difficult, impressive sacrifices and feats have no saving power without faith in the promised offspring. Jude 11 mentions those who have gone the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Well, the way of Cain is compelled by hypocrisy. It's It's worship that draws attention to the individual, that draws attention to the self. Worship that relies on the self. Worship that isn't trying to please God, but is trying to please the self. It involves a wicked, wicked desire to come to God on our terms rather than on His. It involves a wicked desire to appease God, but not please God. And there is a huge difference between appeasing God and pleasing God. And that brings us to a very important third principle. Principle number three. God is not pleased with even the best that we have to offer. He's only pleased with the best that he had to offer. The Lord Christ Jesus and our faith in him. I'll say it again. God is not pleased with even the best that you and I have to offer. He's only pleased with the best that He had to offer, the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in Him. Only the death of Jesus Christ both appeased and pleased God as He bore the wrath of God against the sins of all who would trust in Him. We have no Other sacrifice that can do that. Because to present a different sacrifice is to come to God on our terms. To present a different sacrifice is to reject the person of Christ, it's to reject the work of Christ on behalf of the redeemed. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams Cain had no desire to obey God but would he listen to God God tells Cain your sin is about to get the best of you Cain and even a word directly from God himself does not change Cain's heart or his mind God tells Cain sin is trying to control him and Cain has the obligation to control himself and to not act in accordance with his sin nature. This is not denying, by the way, that natural man is a slave to sin. It's revealing that the natural man is a slave to sin but is nevertheless responsible for exercising at least a degree of restraint against the sin that is their master. So, is this denying the doctrine of total depravity? No, it, it's actually affirming it. It's actually affirming it. The doctrine of total depravity simply affirms that every aspect of the natural or the, of the unconverted, the, the faithless person's life, every aspect of it is corrupted by sin. But it doesn't mean that the natural man can't get worse. It doesn't mean that he's as bad as he possibly could be. It doesn't mean that natural man cannot exercise some control of his sin. God's revealing here that he does have that obligation. So after God speaks to Cain, issuing him this warning, Cain speaks to Abel, convincing him to come out into the field with him. And what this reveals for us is that this murder... Was premeditated. This wasn't just a spur of the moment thing. This was premeditated. Cain was already a murderer at heart, probably many, many, many times over. Jesus taught that if that a, he taught that a person is guilty of murder, if they're ever angry enough to call their brother a fool, who has never felt that angry? that you would call someone a fool. There are times in my life, there are days that I have when that's probably the nicest thing that that comes to mind at first. What does that say about me? What does that say about my heart? What does it say about what's going on inside of me? And we've all been there. We're all as guilty and as murderous as Cain. Because Jesus taught that in God's eyes, unforgiving, unbridled anger in our hearts is no different than pulling the trigger point blank or flying an airplane into a building with thousands of people in it. Within seven verses of being introduced, Abel is the first human being to die. And he's murdered. He's murdered in cold blood. There's a theory that there's this thing called social devolution that results in murder. As if there's kind of a downward spiral where, you know, man is is pretty bad, but he gradually gets worse and gradually gets worse. And, you know, so several generations later, you know, he's, he's gotten really bad compared to where he was back here. And this shows us that such a theory is completely wrong. Within one generation of the dawn of humanity, we see the deepest depths of depravity. We see the greatest possible evil committed against a fellow man. It's not a downward, gradual spiral. The human heart, because of sin, is desperately wicked, and it always has been. So how did Cain murder Abel? We don't know. Maybe it was with his hands, maybe it was with a rock, maybe it was with an arrow. You know, these days some people think so highly of the human heart and the human spirit that you know if if it was if it was with a rock, there are certain types of people in our day and age that would say we need to ban all rocks. (laughs) However Cain did it. The rock or the arrow or whatever he used was not the cause. It was his heart. It was the wickedness in his own heart. That's the common denominator in every single murder in the history of the world, the wickedness of the human heart. Cain's irrational hatred for God and for Abel shows us how serious sin is. It shows us how serious unresolved bitterness is. You've probably heard me say that holding bitterness towards somebody is like poisoning your own cup and drinking it and expecting somebody else to die from it. That's not the way it works. Bitterness, bitterness only affects you. If the other person hates your guts, they don't care if you're bitter, so you're only hurting yourself. Listen to what John, the Apostle John, had to say about Cain and Abel. He says in chapter 3, verses 10 to 13 of 1 John, By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The truth is that the person who has no true and proper fear of God will also not have a true and proper respect or love for their neighbor or their brother. We're talking about fundamental differences between two entirely opposing different kingdoms. Children of God and children of the devil. The devil loves to sow discord. And so we must remain humbly at the foot of the cross every day of our lives. And we must learn to be slow to anger, but quick to confess, quick to reconcile with others, quick to forgive others. We continue. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This passage reminds us that sin has consequences. It reminds us that God is just. It reminds us that God takes sin a lot more seriously than we realize. And it reminds us that nothing escapes his notice. God asks Cain where Abel is, not because God doesn't know where Abel is, but because he does know. He's prompting another confession just like he did in the last chapter with Adam and Eve. When he asks questions, where are you, Adam? It's not that he didn't know where Adam was. He's prompting a confession. He's, saying, he's letting him know, I'm aware of this. So what's your response? And Cain's response is to get pretty snarky with God. He mocks God. He lies to God. See, killing Abel didn't resolve Cain's hostility toward God. If anything, it magnified it. If anything, it exacerbated it. And we might wonder how that works. The answer is found in what John told us about Cain. Cain was a child of the devil, he's a child of the devil. And the more time goes on, the more he hates God. Ultimately, Cain's actions and his attitude following his actions remind us that we live in a world in which two kingdoms are at war. The kingdom of the serpent and the kingdom of the promised offspring. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. A kingdom of wickedness and a kingdom of righteousness. God's people and the world. The Lord deals swiftly with Cain here, cursing him personally. He says, cursed are you, Cain. Cursed are you, Cain. That's something that he didn't do with either Adam or Eve when they sinned. Cain is sentenced to a life of hardship and wandering. The ground will not produce sustenance for him any longer. That's what he's been doing all his life, was working the ground, and now it's not going to do anything for him. And he'll wander aimlessly as a fugitive for the rest of his days. So you might wonder, okay, well, if the ground didn't produce anything for Cain, what did he eat? Hello, paleo diet. Yeah, He's going to eat meat the rest of his days. He would have to shed the blood of animals every time he wants to eat for the rest of his life. And every time he does that, he can remember, he will remember, that he shed His brother's blood. It's a just punishment, but it's also a merciful punishment. God does not give Cain the punishment that he could have, the punishment that Cain could be said to deserve. And even after being cursed by God, even after God condemns him for his sin, look at Cain's attitude. He's completely unrepentant. His response reveals that he only cared ultimately about his own safety and his own well-being. He doesn't say, oh Lord, my, my guilt and my shame is too much for me to bear. No, he says the punishment that you've given me is too much for me to bear. He's unrepentant. He's only concerned with himself. He doesn't care that he's offended God. He just doesn't want to be murdered himself. God was against him. The earth was against him. His own family was now going to be against him. And he says, this is too much for me. Everything was against him. Everything was against him, working toward his destruction, his demise. God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8.28 But it is just... The opposite for those who steadfastly reject God. For those who reject God, everything that you go through that you might think is a good experience, God is using that to your demise because you've rejected Him. That giant house that big fat paycheck, that beautiful new car, maybe even that beautiful new wife, all the things that unregenerate man lives for instead of living for the glory of God, God allows the children of the devil to have them and to live for them. That's why the psalmist would say, God, these people are prospering around me. Like, God, this doesn't make any sense. These people are wicked and they're evil and they do all these horrible things and look at all that they have. And the point is, exactly. Romans 1 tells us that God hands the idolater over to their false gods. He hands them over to their sin. This is exactly what God does with Cain. Cain wants to be self-dependent, self-reliant. Cain wants to be autonomous and independent from God. And God gives him the desire of his heart. Amazingly, this part of the passage ends with God showing mercy to Cain. Cain's worried that his family is going to seek vengeance against him on behalf of of Abel, because of what he did to Abel. That they're going to kill him. And God grants grace, even to Cain. Let's finish this up, verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So God puts this mark on Cain. And we don't know what it was we don't know how anyone would know that this was god's way of saying vengeance is mine not yours you know warning them against extracting revenge upon him but the mark worked god was merciful god was graceful to cain ensuring that cain for the rest of his days would not be harmed by those who would seek to kill him because of what he's done cain's life is a warning to anyone who would approach worship casually or carelessly. Cain's life is a reminder that God has the sovereign right to reject the worship of those who do not come to him on his terms with an obedient heart and faith in Christ, the promised offspring. Cain's life is a warning that it is possible to have a form of godliness on the outside that is just hypocrisy and it denies the power of true godliness, the saving power of true godliness from the heart. Cain's story is a reminder that even the best that we have to offer God is not enough, it's not good enough only the best that God himself had to offer. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our faith in him, only that pleases God. So how then should we live in light of this truth as Francis Schaeffer would have said? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable to God. Our life is an act of worship. God not only cares that we worship, he also cares why and how we worship. So let us come to him, not on our terms, but on his terms, to worship with obedient hearts that are surrendered to his will and with a faith that's deeper than just surface level a faith that fills our hearts. A faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one whose work both pleases and appeases God on behalf of those who believe in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And Father, we confess to you in the silence of our hearts that every one of us is guilty. Every one of us has held bitterness at one point or another. Every one of us has felt anger at some point or another. And so, Lord, we, we recognize that we stand before you guilty but we thank you lord that you made a way for us to be forgiven by trusting by believing by placing faith in the promised offspring your son jesus christ who died on our behalf taking your wrath against our sin and imputing to us his own perfect righteousness so that we can stand before you in holiness and in his righteousness because of what he did for us. So teach us, Lord, to be a more faithful people. Fill our hearts with a a deeper and a stronger faith that we may trust in your Son, that we may gain your favor, and that our lives would be a pleasing offering unto you. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, to convict us and to empower us, Lord Jesus, that we may live for you and for your glory with the heart of worship as we seek not our own praise, but only to praise you with all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was so much-